morning. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And again, just that time of worship is just so, so sweet, so precious. I thank the Lord for our worship team and Brother Jake and leading uh, him and Sean leading in our worship team, but also uh, Brother Jake and his leadership. And he asked me to preach this uh, message a while back. And so I've had a lot of time to prepare for it. Uh, so I should be prepared this morning. And, uh, and so either it's going to be, uh, I don't know, that worship team just got me going this morning, ready to preach. And uh, I've had a lot of time to prepare. So I hope I can get it all in in, our, in a timely manner, right? I can hear a lot of amens on that one. And so, uh, but anyway, Exodus chapter 15, I love getting into the Old Testament stories uh, in the Bible, but it really has brought us to the book of Exodus because we're looking at the names of God. Uh, one of the things that we're doing through our, sermon, our summer sermon series is looking at the different names of God. And this week we're going to be looking at Jehovah Rapha, talking about the God who heals. And so we'll be looking at not only how God can heal uh, physically, uh, but God can also heal emotionally. He can heal mentally. He can heal spiritually. Uh, I've just been so excited, just not only for me studying this and how it's, it's really convicted and, and hopefully changed my life through that uh, place of conviction. But even as I continue to preach this message, I believe the Lord will continue to speak to my heart and to uh, really preach to me this morning. I really believe, I've said this before, but I really feel it so much in this message. As I'm preaching this message to you, believe me, it is continually preaching uh, to me this morning uh, as well. I think you'll just hopefully have the overflow of what God's preaching to me that you'll get something out of it as well. But we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 15, <clears throat> and we're going to be starting out in verse 22. And I'm going to read a couple of verses and we'll eventually get to the point when we're going to uh, finish it out through verse 27. But as we look in verse 22 of chapter 15, I believe it's going to be on the screen for you this morning. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they came to drink the waters of Marah, but they were bitter because the name of it was called Mara. And so before we continue on, I just, I kind of want to get us up to speed of kind of where we're at in the Bible. We're of course in the book of Exodus. We're in the time where God is leading his children, his chosen people out of slavery, out of bondage. And they crossed over the Red Sea. And then now they're on the way to the promised land. And so as we looked at this, even a couple of weeks ago when Brother Jake preached, we kind of was in this place of them in this place of Exodus and them journeying on the way to the promised land. I like to kind of give a little comparison, a little parallel as far as even our Christian walk and our Christian life uh, related to the story of the Israelites. You know me, I like to start in Genesis and end in Revelation by the time my message is over, right? Um, this is a little funny this morning. I, I'm, I'm excited this morning for our message and to be here. And, uh, and so as we understand that God had given promise to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to bless your descendants. And he says, and I'm going to give you a place for you to call home. I'm going to give you that promised land. And so we understand of, of how the nation of Israel, as far as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then also then to Joseph, how he was sold into slavery. 
that that Joseph is there in Egypt and he is there. He, he, he had that. He interpreted the dream for the king and the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh put him in charge of all that was happening on those next handful of years. The years of plenty and then the years of famine and then his brothers come to him in that place of Egypt and is in desperate need of food. And he Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he brings after all those things and he brings the entire nation of Israel to Egypt because things are good. Things are things are happening for the nation of Israel because of Joseph and God's blessings upon Joseph. Well, Joseph passes away, the, book of, the beginning of the book of Exodus. Jo- Joseph passes away, and then uh, the Pharaoh as well passes away. The new Pharaoh doesn't know the things. Hasn't, it wasn't personal to him about the stories of Joseph. It, it made no difference to him about how Joseph had blessed the former Pharaoh. So now the new Pharaoh comes in, and he sees these people as a threat. He sees this great group of people, the Israelites, as a threat to him, not as a blessing. And so he puts them as workers for him. He puts them as slaves for the nation of Egypt. And so the Israelites are now there as slaves to them. They're in desperate need. They're they're so far from their promised land. They're so far away from the blessings of God in their eyes. All they see is now, God, you have abandoned us. You have left us. We understand the beautiful story of Moses of how he is there in the river and Pharaoh's daughter sees him and hears him crying out in that basket and she takes him in and she raises him in the king's house, in Pharaoh's house. And then we understand of how Moses is there and he, he, kills, that, he, he kills that Egyptian and he flees and he goes in the backside of the desert and God yet never still, still does not forget his people. They're there as slaves and they're, they're there working hard and understanding that there seems to be no hope, there seems to be no promise left anymore, but God is preparing Moses as he has fled on the backside of the desert. Moses is there on the backside of the desert for 40 years. His first 40 years of his life, he's there in royalty, growing up in Pharaoh's home. The next 40 years of Moses' life, he's there on the backside of the desert. He's, he's, he's tending to sheep and he, he is there. God is preparing him to lead not only with animals, but now he's preparing him through that time to lead a nation. And of God, you know the story of, of the burning bush. Moses is there on the backside of the desert as he's just minding his own business and God reveals himself to Moses. He's there, there is a, a burning bush and that was not uncommon in that day because the bushes, it was so uh, just a desert place and dry place that it would burn up but it would be consumed quickly. And so we understand that we saw Moses turn and saw that bush burning but yet it was not being consumed. And God was in that bush and God spoke to him and told him to get, take off his shoes because he was on a holy ground. God was fixing to speak a word to him about the nation of Israel. And so we understand that if Moses goes back and he speaks to Pharaoh with his brother Aaron and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh, God's, the Bible tells us that God had hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let God's people go. He would not let the Israelites go. And so we understand that uh, finally through the plagues and all these different plagues that finally Pharaoh, after the last one, Pharaoh finally let God's people go. And I was saying just a second ago before I started that little journey through us through Genesis and Exodus that we see a lot of parallels. We see a lot of uh, uh, comparisons there as far as our walk with the Lord of how we are in a place of slavery. 
how even when we don't understand it and we don't even realize it sometimes as we have grown up in this in this great country that we live in that all the blessings that we see and and really uh, obtain in our everyday life are just of just the America that we enjoy that we don't understand as we grow up that we are enslaved and we are in bondage we are in bondage to sin we we're going about doing the things of our own self of our own flesh and the Bible tells us that we are in slaves to sin that we are in bondage I, I just imagine I can just imagine that young Israelite boy or that young Israelite girl who is there running around in the nation of uh, in the nation of Egypt and is there while the parents are working and think that this is just common and knowing that, okay, when I grow up, I want to do this and I want to do that. And finally they get to understand, maybe it's at seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, that they start to realize, you know what? I don't have the freedoms as these Egyptians do because I'm enslaved and I'm in bondage. Maybe it's an adult, maybe it's their parents, maybe it's a, maybe an older, uh, older uh, Israelite that tells them, you know what, we can't do what the Egyptians do because we're enslaved, we're in bondage. There's only certain things that we can and cannot do. And soon enough, you will realize that you will be enslaved and in bondage just as we are. Because you, the Bible tells us that the Israelites, when they were there enslaved and in bondage, they were crying out to God in their prayers, probably during their time of work and, and in this place of, of just slavery, slavery, imprisonment, that they were constantly crying out to God, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Where are you at in my life? God, you have promises for our fathers, Abraham. You have promises for us as a nation of Israel that you are going to bless us and that you are going to provide for us. Yet we're enslaved, we're in bondage. And so for us, it's, it's appointed for each one of us to understand that we have no hope outside of God. On that last plague, it's a picture of how Jesus has given us, God has given us the Passover lamb through his son, Jesus Christ. That last plague that came down, the 10th plague, was the Passover lamb. You remember the story whenever, uh, whenever Moses told Pharaoh that the death angel was going to pass through. And that the death angel, when he comes through, if that blood is not on the post from that lamb, if that, if that blood of that lamb is not on the doorpost of your home, that the firstborn son, the life would be taken. And so the Israelites, if they were obedient, and most of them did, I'm sure the majority of them did, if not all of them, they all put the blood over their doorpost, just as it was instructed through Moses from the Lord. The Egyptians were hardened by there in their hearts as far as not to do that. And when the death angel came by, whoever's blood from that, that sacrificial lamb was there on the doorpost, the death angel would pass by. Finally, because of this, because Pharaoh losing his son, he said, Israelites, get out and go. They released him. And it was because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we find ourselves even today. When we understand that we're slaves, that we're in bondage, we're in no hope, we have no hope. That the only salvation that we have is when, when the Father looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ on our heart. That Passover lamb that you and I have at some point in time of our life, maybe it was a young child, maybe it was older on in life, whatever the case is, but for you have understood that you have no hope without the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can have hope 
is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding through faith that I am the only way for me to write, the only way for me to have that blood applied to my heart and life is for me to surrender to the Lord in obedience and cry out to Him for salvation. And so a great parallel, a great picture. And so what he tells us here is that they, they understood that Passover and they instituted that for, for, from, from that point on in the, in the nation of, of, uh, of Israel. And so finally they get out and they leave in that passageway and they go down to the Red Sea. And when they get down to the Red Sea, that place of deliverance, that place of just forgiveness of what has already happened in the Christian life. It's, it's saying that, you know what, that blood has already been applied and God is freeing them from the nation of, uh, the nation of Egypt. And so as they get there, we understand that uh, Pharaoh kind of had a change of heart. He starts pursuing them heavily. And we understand that the Bible tells us that he instructs Moses to put out there Aaron's rod and the flood waters uh, or the, uh, the Red Sea, excuse me, opened up and it was dry. It was dry like it is right now on our property, right, Matt? Matt, well, Matt's not in here right now, but Matt, he's been watering his property, trying to get those watermelons ready. And uh, I'm ready for my truckload of watermelons. But anyway, that was just a little side note. Sorry, I got distracted. But anyway, the, the, the Red Sea just opened up. The Israelites walked on, on dry land and went through the Red Sea. The whole nation of Israel walked and got across. What a great deliverance. And their enemies were drowned. Their enemies were taken care of. It was put under the Lord Jesus, uh, 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 God himself as far as what their enemies were trying to accomplish against the nation of Israel. God was victorious in their lives. They were a freed people now, just as we sang about a while ago, just how we're free, we've been delivered, and be all because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that he has for, for us and for them. And so they walk through on dry land, they get on the other side, their enemy has been defeated, and they get out and they go by the way of the wilderness. Now I love this, not only did God save them uh, through, through their distress and through their hardship, but now God's fixing to take them on their journey. And so as we're looking at a God who heals, and we'll get to that as far as the, the, the bitter waters in just a second. I love how it instructs us here in verse 22, if we go back to that verse. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, that they went out into the wilderness of Shur. I mean, they went out into the wilderness of Shur. He takes them on a route that is kind of going out of the way. And God is such, and I was thinking about this in my, in my preparation, is that when you talk about healing, a God of healing, uh, uh, Jehovah Rapha, that you really start to touch on other things that God is. You know, I, I, there could be areas in my life that I'm really good in this area, but I, I lack in this area. And so they kind of don't bleed over in a lot of ways. We're either really black and white, right? But for God, he's, he's so well-rounded. He is well-rounded. That when it comes to healing, he's also a provider. He, he's, he's on the offense and he's also on the defense. I mean, he's, he's just everything, right? We, we try to wrap our minds around uh, God and who he is and we just can't do it. And, and you know, well, the, the God that I serve, uh, he, he's going to love like this and he's going to judge this way. You know, God is beyond our, our little feeble mind. Can we agree to that this morning? God is just way above that in us. And so the reason I say that is because Jehovah Rapha, when we start talking about a God who heals, he's also the one that protects, 
He's also the one that just, he does everything. He leads us, guides us, all of these different things. So in his place of healing for the nation of Israel, in verse 22, it tells us, uh, I'll read it again. He says, it took them in the way of the, of the wilderness of Shur. And it said, they went out there three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, there was a reason the Bible tells us that he took them this way. They went the wilderness way. I don't know when they figured it out. I don't know when they figured it out. The Bible tells us two chapters before there was a reason that God took them the way of the wilderness. Because he didn't take them the way of the land of the Philistines. Now, let me tell you something. God is such a great God and God is a healer. And God is a healer not only in us going through uh, maybe it's a sickness and he can uh, he can heal us from that ailment. But God is such a great God and a loving God that he, that nation of Israel, he knew what was best for them. And instead of having to heal them because of a because of going through war or going through distress, God healed him in a way of protection. So he takes them the way of the wilderness. And I don't know when, because as I was just trying to comprehend and figure it out, I know Moses wrote the five book, these first five books in the Bible. OK, the books of Moses. And Moses, at some point in time, and I don't know if it was he was keeping a great log. I'm not that smart. I wasn't there. I know I, I turned 41 this, this past week, and I know I look a little older for some of you younger ones. But uh, I wasn't there at the time of Moses. Okay, can we, we, we understand that? And so I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know if Moses was constantly keeping a log or if he sat down at the very end and wrote all five books, but of course, by the inspiration of the Lord. But Moses is jotting this down and recording all these things that had happened to the nation of Israel. And I don't know at what point in time the nation of Israel themselves figured out that God took them the long way. Because they had not been there before. Many of them was born in the nation of, of Egypt. They had not just made this journey back and forth between De Quincey and Sulphur and realized, you know what, I don't have to go all the way around to Moss Bluff to make it to Sulphur. You know, from De Quincey. We know that route. We know all these different journeys. It was a little different for them then. I don't know if it was when they got all the way to the land of Canaan later on that they figured out, you know what, there was a faster way to get to Egypt to Canaan. But God took them the way around. Why? Because God was protecting them because God tells them that they were not able to face the people of the Philistines because God knew that if they were to go that quicker route, that they were going to find war with the Philistines. Now we're talking about Moses, who is an unbelievable warrior and leader. We're talking about Joshua. He's still young at this particular time, but he was, he's going to be the greatest, one of the greatest leaders that the nation of Israel would ever see. And they will be a great people of war. But when they first leave from Egypt and they cross the Red Sea, God says, you're not going this way of the Philistines, the quick route. He says, because you're not prepared to go that way. Boy, I'm telling you, God is a God who loves and cares for us. He's a God who heals even in place of getting us to go the long route. And let me tell you something. And as we're going to continue to read in just a second, we understand, I, I think God will will take us and deals with us when we're complainers, just like the nation of Israel were complainers. Amen. As we are complainers, as we are constantly doubting the Lord and the Lord just deals with us and thank the Lord that he just continues to deal with us and he's patient with us. But you know what he didn't want? 
He didn't want them to tuck tail and run back to Egypt. And he knew if he was going to bring them in that early place of war, the first thing that when they get out on the other side of the Red Sea and they were to go in a place of war that they were not prepared for, he said they would end up back in Egypt. Scripture tells us that in chapter 13. He says they were not prepared for war. Guess what? They're, they're fixing to be the greatest warriors and, 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 and uh, people of battle. And uh, they will and their children will be when they go to conquer the land of, of Israel the land of Canaan. So these people are going to be warriors, but not in their elementary stage that they're in now. And so for us, just to know that when God takes us and he saves us and he has a plan for our life and we start out on this journey, God has a place of healing for us and a place of protecting us and leading us and guiding us. He takes them out in that desert three days with no water. Now, I could just imagine, it's, it's dry, it's, it's, a, it's this nasty place, this wilderness that they're in, and, and they're going in there three days in this wilderness of sure, and they have to be just looking at God and going, are you sure? You know, are you sure this is the way you want us to go? They're there three days, no water. Well, they don't say it that nicely. They start complaining and bickering and fighting to Moses. They're, 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 they're constantly complaining to him and asking him, what is going on? They say that in verse 24, but let's look at 23. It says, when they came to this place and they find this water to drink from the waters of Mara that they were bitter. They were, it was unable for them to drink. The name of the place was called Mara. Verse 24, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Moses, you're the leader. You're the one that led us out here. Now, don't you think, which is so crazy, when we look at salvation at the Red Sea and uh, them being led out of slavery and bondage, and if God can save you, if God can do that for us, that he could break down those walls and break down those barriers against us being enslaved to sin and us now having the blood of Jesus Christ in our life, don't you think he can do something as far as providing for you on your daily walk with the Lord? But that's where we find ourselves, right? I'm, I told you I was preaching to me. That's where we find ourselves. I'm complaining about water. Next chapter, you're going to see them complaining about food. When if God could save, if we could trust God to get us through the Red Sea, then why can't we trust him to provide us for daily food and water? And for us, that's where I believe most of us in this room that have experienced salvation is where we find ourselves in our daily walk with the Lord of just not believing and not trusting in the Lord. In verse 25, it says, he cried out to the Lord. This is Pharaoh. I mean, uh, this is Moses. And the Lord showed him a tree. And he said, cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There was, there was made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. So one of the things I, I like about the uh, New King James Version of the Bible is that the, the pronoun he is capitalized, because it shows us of who is speaking here. It's not Moses, it's not the people against Moses, but it's God in, it's, it's, it's a pronoun referring to God, that God tested them. You understand when God tests us, it's not when, when we have these different trials and tribulations, when, when, when the enemy is trying to really trip us up. The, the enemy wants to put things in front of us that we fall and we fall flat on our face. God is putting these obstacles in front of us to look to him, to trust him, 
And he doesn't want us to fall. He wants us to believe in him and for us to be able to get through those things. And he puts the things that we that is necessary for us to go through these tests and these things that God puts in front of us. And so God tests them there to see if they're really going to continue to trust them in their daily walk. In verse 26, and God said, if you diligently, he gives them this promise here. He says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, in God's sight, give ear to God's commandments and keep all of his statutes. He says, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. And here, here's your word, Jehovah Rapha. For I am, the, I am the Lord who heals you. He's, tell, he's telling them, listen, I'm, I'm the Lord who heals, but I am the Lord who's not even going to bring these things upon you. He's talking and referencing the nine plagues, basically, all these things that happened to the nation of, of, of Egypt, all these different pestilences, these diseases, these sicknesses that were happening to the nation of Egypt, he goes, listen, I will keep those things from you. I will protect you from these things if, he tells you here in verse 26, if you just simply trust in me, if you simply believe in me. Now listen, we're all around sin and we are sinners, saved by grace, but we're still sinners. And so we're prone to wander, we're prone to sin and do the things that we want to do. And so we're going to find ourselves in sin. We gotta, we gotta understand that, you know what, there's still things, sicknesses, diseases that are going to happen to us. The Bible says that, that he'll not only keep those things away from us if we're being obedient to the Lord, but there is things that are going to happen because of the sin of this world and because of our own sin that these things will happen, but we serve a God who can heal us in these things. And let me tell you something, even if he doesn't heal us the way we want him to heal, God, as we'll see later in just a minute, not too far later, but that God, he can heal you emotionally, he can heal you spiritually, he can heal you mentally, and of course he can heal you physically. He's that kind of God. So even when you're going through troubles and trials and tribulations, ailments that are coming against you, we serve a God who can deal with those things, even when we find ourselves in a mess. It was a coworker uh, that was telling me the other day, she's like, uh, my husband and I are going through, we're starting back over and we're going through the book of Genesis and we're going to read, we're going to try to read as much as we can, you know, I mean, we're going to continue to just go each day. Uh, in the book of Genesis and she goes I know it's a little difficult going through those first chapters and I was just like no 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 let me tell you because she was telling me I, you know all the different sons of this and and uh, and the and the 12 tribes that I it just kind of I said okay and so I got all excited I started telling her about it and all these different stories and uh, I got into the story of the 12 uh, the, uh, the 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 12 sons the 12 tribes of Israel and I started telling her we start singing this morning about the tribe of Judah and I was like this is why it's the tribe of Judah uh, as far as Jesus being the king of the tribe of Judah and it's not the firstborn son or the secondborn son or 
or the third born son. And I explained to her what happened with uh, their sister Dinah. And I pointed over here because Dinah's in the nursery, but there's her family over here. But I started telling about the story of Dinah and, and all these different things. I got so excited. And I don't think she was as excited as I was talking about it. But anyway, there's so much truth and there's so much history for us to learn about the things of the Bible and about these stories that could help us to understand that God wants to show us who he is. He wants us to trust him and he wants us to understand, listen, he's done all these things for the nation of Israel that he wants to do for us today. He says, if you diligently heed my voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. You see how what I was saying in reference to that is that you see how people find themselves in a mess. And God meets them where they're at. You know, Jacob, his, names get, his name gets changed to Israel. And where did God find him when he comes back? God had, he prayed there at a place called, they named it Bethel. House of God. It's because why? Jacob was there with God and God met with him there. And he goes off to the far country. And when he comes back to that place again, after he makes his journey back, he ends up renaming the place. He adds a little something to it. But when he comes back, he's got all these children, he's got multiple wives, he's got a couple of concubines from his wives, and he, from them he has a slew of children. And God, would you see when he meets back at that place of Bethel, the house of God, they rename it El Bethel, God of the house of God. And the reason is, is because God met him there where he was at and God helped him. Now, you said he needs it if he's got four different women he's dealing with and all these different kids. Right. But God met him where he was at for him to be the person that God wanted him to be from that point forward. And so, man, I'll tell you what, even when we find ourselves with, we, maybe it's things that we brought on ourselves. Maybe it's just the course of this world and the, just the sicknesses and everything that's happening that we find ourselves in a mess and we find ourselves in a place of sickness that we serve a God that can still help us through those things. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. Abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. Continuing on in verse 27, it says, and then they came to Elam uh, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. God tests them there, there, that place, and he changes it from bitter water to now sweet water. And they're just, I don't drink sweet tea, but I'm, you tea drinkers, I know that was blasphemy being from the South. But you know what? It's like just that good, sweet tea. It changed from that bitter water to that just that sweet tea on the front porch, just sipping that great sweet tea, uh, sweet tea for them. And God doesn't just leave it there for them, but they're able to move on in their journey. And God sets them up there with these beautiful trees and the beautiful places of water there where they can just soak it up and live. Now, the, I, I didn't I left you there a long time ago about the, uh, the beginning as far as our Christian walk. 
Our Christian walk does not stop on this wilderness journey and this desert journey. If you continue to read on through the book of, uh, of Exodus and you get to past, uh, you know, uh, Leviticus numbers, then you get to Deuteronomy. It's there. They're, they're on this long journey, a 40 year journey. God's repairing them along the way. And, you know, they get they get right on the east side of the Jordan River. All 12 tribes are there. Well, two and a half tribes, then one of the tribes split off. Two and a half tribes come to them, come to the leadership and say, you know what? I know y'all, we have plans. God has a promise that we're going to go on the other side of the Jordan River. And we're going to get that place that God had promised Abraham years ago. But we want to stay on this side of the Jordan River. You know, the Christian life is not just us getting through the Red Sea and us being saved and going to heaven when we die. But it's heaven here on earth. Jesus tells us, I don't want you just to have life. I want, and they had life. They were there. I believe Moses was a believer. I believe those people who died in the wilderness were believers. They trusted the Lord to get them there, to, to free them from the, uh, from the place of Egypt and the bondage and cross the Red Sea. And the Bible says that generation died there in the wilderness, in the desert, on the east side of the Jordan River. Boy, the Jordan River, there's nothing like the story of the Red Sea, but my favorite story out of the two is honestly the Jordan River. The flood waters were great. It was the time of flood season. And, and though Joshua gets out there and the, he leads the, uh, the, uh, the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant. And it wasn't until, and they're holding the Ark of the Covenant going over to the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us it wasn't until all of them were in the water. So there were some people in the front of it that were probably under the water before all of them touched it. And then when they all went in with the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says that those floodwaters of the Jordan River did the same exact thing as the Red Sea. It opened up. And they walked through on dry land. And that is a picture, if not of heaven, but it's a picture of the abundant life. The Bible tells us that when they walked through and they went to the Jordan River, they went and conquered that land. But that was the land that was flowing with milk and honey. That was the land that God said, this is your land. I'm going to bless you. I am going to do unbelievable and great things for you because I can tell you why it wasn't heaven because there were still battles. There were still things that they were going to face in their life. But the Bible tells us again, he doesn't just want you to have life. He wants you to have abundant life. And he wants you to be in a place that you're really soaking in the things of the Lord. Now, that two and a half tribes, guess what they did? They went in because they made a, a, they made a, a deal with uh, the leadership that they went in and fought with their brothers on that side of the Jordan River, on, the, on Israel's side, the land of Canaan. And they fought with them to obtain the land that they ended up going back home. They kept their end of the bargain. But guess what was not on that side of the river? All the blessings that God had for them. And so for us today, in a place of just kind of almost uh, invitational as we move forward into that, I hope for us that we're not living outside of the Jordan River, outside of the land of promise. I hope we're not living and dying because there's a lot of them that just roamed around and just kept doing the same old thing on the east side of the Jordan and not truly getting their best out of all the things that God 
had for him. Now, I told you a couple things, too, and, and just to help you out, and, and we'll close this morning. In, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, I'm going to turn there really quick and read that for us. 2 Kings, if you have your Bibles and you were in Bible drills, you can quick, quickly uh, turn over there uh, with me. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, talks about physical healing. There was this man, Naaman. And verse 10 says, Elisha, the prophet, he, Naaman heard about Elisha and that Elisha could heal. And this, this man, Naaman, was a, was a leper. Uh, he says, and, he sent a, and Elisha sent a message to him saying, go and do this. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. And Naaman became furious. This man with leprosy became furious and he went his way. He said, why would I have to go to that specific river to get cleansed? Why can't I go to somewhere else? And simply there was a servant that came in verse 13 uh, of that chapter in uh, those verses. It says, and his servant came near and spoke to him and said, my father, the prophet have told you to do something great. Would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? He says, it didn't make any sense to him. He goes, you know what? I feel like I can go to other places. And he says, no, if the prophet tells you to go do something, why would you even question it? Just be obedient to what God is wanting you to do. And so finally in verse 24, I mean, for, for, uh, verse 14, it says, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan River, according to the saying of the man of God, which was Elisha, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Not only can God heal him, but he healed him in such a way that it was even better than his current condition at his own age. It was brand new. God is a God who heals. God can do it physically. He could also do it mentally as we look at Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34. He tells us in Daniel 4 and verse 34, what happened here, I'm going to start at verse 28. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon and the king spoke saying, it's not the, this great Babylon that I have built for the royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, God was speaking to him, to you it is spoken, the king has the kingdom has departed from you and, and they shall drive you from men and from dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall uh, pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and it gives to whomever he chooses. That very, uh, that very hour was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. He looked disgusting. He didn't look half a person that he was before, high and mighty. And at the end of this time in verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding was returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him. He says, who lives forever for his dominion and everlasting uh, dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. The Bible says that he was able to get his mental 
capacity back. God gave it to him. God broke him down mentally and then gave it back to him mentally in, in Daniel chapter 4, 34. Maybe it's something mental that mentally that you're going through. God can deal with it. Also, Psalm chapter 34. I got two more and I'm done. Psalm chapter 34. We talk about God who deals with us emotionally in verse 18 in Psalm 34 says the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. God can heal your broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. God can touch you where you are, even in your brokenness, even in your emotional state. God can also, of course, heal you spiritually. In Psalm 103, Psalm 103 in verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. God can heal you of anything that we're going through, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, whether it's spiritually. Let's trust him this morning. And as we just bow our head and close our eyes this morning, and as we deal with just just really turning to ourselves and looking inward this morning, has there been a time and place in my life that I have trusted you for salvation? Maybe it's me learning things along the way. Maybe me starting to trust you here and there in my life. But at what point in time that I trust you with my life, that your blood that was spilled for me on the cross was applied to me. Applied in a way because I have received it unto myself. I know it's there, but I have I accepted it in my life for salvation. And I pray this morning, Lord God, if there's someone that has never trusted you for salvation, I pray you would meet with them this morning, that you would show them their need for a Savior, that they would just simply call out to you, and Lord, save me. I give my life to you. I trust you. I know who I am and how I fall short. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I ask you to just save me, come in to be the Lord of my life. And if you do that, the Lord will save you. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows where you are this morning. And I turn to Christians. I turn to believers now and just saying, you know what? There's, there's these obstacles. There's these things. There's the big Red Sea crossing. There's the, uh, all these things that you have taken me from and have brought me through and placed me on dry land. And even when it becomes dry and it becomes where I'm thirsty and I'm hungry, whether it's physically or whether it's spiritually, emotionally, financially, mentally, whatever it is, that I would just simply trust you. I wouldn't trust on my own abilities and my own just self-confidence, but that I would just simply trust you, Lord. I know I can think of areas in my life right now, and I, I pray for our congregation this morning, our church family, to think of things that are happening in their life right now that are just simply not trusting you. I pray that we would ask you to forgive us in these areas, Lord God, and that we would simply start obeying you in these areas and trust you for you to lead us and guide us. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.